Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome, welcome everybody to the St. Louis Realtor Podcast live from the, I guess today we're on the second floor of the St. Louis St. Louis Development Corporation, downtown St. Louis at the LRA offices. This is Podcast 38. Today is March 30th, 2018. I'm here with my co-host, Shannon St. Pierre. Hello. And we have a very special guest today, Laura Costello. Welcome, Laura. Good morning. Good morning. And we're going to interview you and ask you all about the LRA. Okay. Okay. So I want to start simple, if you don't mind. Tell me what is... What does LRA even stand for, and what's your role here? Okay. Uh, LRA uh, stands for Land Realization Authority. We were set up by state statute in 1971 when the city of St. Louis started was experiencing the loss of population and therefore um, a lot of vacancy and abandonment of homes. So instead of the city of St. Louis maintaining these properties that were abandoned, um, um, the LRA was set up to, to, to be the owner of these properties, owner of last resort. Uh, the properties come into our inventory through tax sale. The city of St. Louis forecloses on properties every year that are five years delinquent in their real estate taxes. Everyone is welcome to go to those auctions and, and foreclosure sales. The properties that do not sell at the foreclosure sale come into the LRA inventory. Okay, so I always get distracted because I find everything so interesting. But so in 1971, people were just abandoning their houses? I, I think it was more in the um, uh, late 50s, early 60s when it started, when we lost our population a couple hundred thousand over a you know, 15, 20-year period. Did they not have mortgages on these houses? No, no. Otherwise, probably the mortgage lender would, would foreclose. Foreclose, right. okay. And so what is your role here? My role is director of real estate for the St. Louis Development Corporation, okay. and that includes the LRA and the LCRA, which is Land Clearance for Redevelopment Authority. They own property. Um, the Port Authority and Planned Industrial Expansion Authority. Oh, Those wow. are a lot of authorities. <laughs> Lots of authority uh, here. And uh, some of them own property. The majority property holder is the LRA. Okay, and then how do all those different groups fit into the St. Louis Development the, Corporation? The St. Louis Development Corporation is the staff to all those authorities. So I'm an employee of St. Louis Development Corporation, um, and and we all answer to those authorities and those boards. The LCRA has a, a board of direct, you know, commission, LRA, Port Authority Commission. Uh, we are the staff. Um, for the for those commissions and for clarification you're not actually owned by you're not an actual city department no we are not we are not part of the city of st louis we we work hand in hand with them we are the economic development and real estate development arm of the city we are not city employees and we do not get any city general revenues so all your revenue comes from selling these properties? They come from the sale of our properties, and we have leases. We have um, development fees for the LCRA. Okay. Um, you know, we, we have leases up and down the port, um, but the sale of our property is, is, helps keep us going. Okay, so I want to dive in a little bit. You, you mentioned how the properties get to the LRA, but so what you're saying is somebody owns a property. I guess they must have their mortgage paid off somehow, and then they just stop paying their taxes. 
and then they don't pay it year one, they don't pay it year two, nothing happens, year three, nothing happens, year four, that's when it goes to the tax sale? Um, yes, by state statute, the uh, collector can sue the first year after delinquency and and then foreclose the next year. Um, this is how. So they, after five is, years, they sue. This is they 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 by statute they can do it after the first year. After you're just it's one just, of if yeah, I don't in pay January my January of mm-hmm. the after the by year state of statute years, right. But do they? But they don't. Okay. Because it might be someone's home now. I don't most these aren't occupied properties, but it might it's it's property, so they don't rush to to sue and foreclose immediately. Um, usually, it's in in. Uh, uh, year four that the collector of revenue sues, um, and then year five is when they actually hold the sale. And so we did a whole podcast on tax sales, so I'm still really interested in it, but I guess we're going to try not to get into that too much. Good, because Dale Sweet probably knows a lot more. He did. He did a great job. A lot more than us. But so then someone doesn't buy it at tax sale for whatever reason, and then it comes to you. Yes. It comes into our inventory through a sheriff's deed. Okay. And um, Dale may have talked about that. We then get it confirmed. We pay someone to go to the judge and confirm that the sale was a good sale, and um, and then it comes into our inventory. We uh, give the list of properties to our maintenance crew. We have about eight guys that are boarding up properties all day long, and uh, they go in and, and, and take photos and winterize the buildings and and report back to us, and then we put it into our database and then we you know hopefully try and sell these properties so what's the time frame so from the point that you acquire these after the tax sale um they immediately come into your inventory after the confirmation yes and how long does the confirmation Um, after the sale the confirmation is usually held two two months afterwards um and so after the sale, it's usually you won't see it in our inventory for about two months. But it, it, once it's confirmed, it actually is it, immediately it, it, going into the yeah. inventory. It, yes. A lot of these buildings though, that you're getting, they're in a point of where you need to demolish them. A lot of them we do. Um, yes, because they've been vacant for so long and, and out in the weather so long. Okay. Um, um, if you all have been to the tax sale, you'll see that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more people at the tax sale in the last two to three years, which is good. Yes, so, it was standing room only last time. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> but but that's good because that means it's going to be purchased by a private individual instead of just coming into our inventory. It also means that everything has been picked through. I've been in other cities where their land bank can choose what they take. And they can choose not to take, and then it's just back on the sit that city to um, keep maintaining that property. We take everything that isn't purchased. Okay, so let's back up for a moment because you use the word uh, land bank, and I have used that word, and I didn't realize that land bank here in St. Louis is not a common term. Right. And so I've I'm starting to realize it's gone over some pe- people's heads, and like mine, and not, and then they start confusing it with land banking. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for clarification, land banking is when people acquire parcels of property for future sale or development. And that's more an investment thing. And that's, that's a totally always, legit thing. Right, that's how I always that's, looked at it. Yeah, that's, so, that's an investor taking a, like a gamble on an area of something of sorts. Okay, a land bank is a government entity or a nonprofit corporation that's focused on the conversion of 
vacant, abandoned, and tax delinquent properties. Yes. In general, any land bank's goal is to take these properties and put them back into productive use and ultimately tax generating revenue. Yes. I started hearing that term land bank about 10 years ago and everyone was referring to St. Louis as the oldest land bank. Yes. And And when we talk about or St. Louis is discussed, it is the oldest land bank in the country. You were the first to establish legislation and that's what establishes a land bank is legislation. So you're you're not just creating this arm of the government and saying I'm going to acquire property. It's actual legislation that allows you to acquire those properties that are tax delinquent. That's, that are just left over from tax sales. That's, that's correct. And that same legislation dictates how we sell it, how we maintain our property, how okay. we sell it. Um, if we sell it below the appraised value, you know, the steps we have to take with appointing authorities. The, um, the, every offer we get, we take before the LRA commission. They meet the last Wednesday of every month. And there are three commissioners uh, one appointed by the mayor, one by the Board of Education, and one by the comptroller. Mm-hmm. And um, every offer goes before them. And um, um, they say yay or nay, you know, so, but even that set up by states, you know, even that's that, that process is dictated yes. by legislation yes. that's put in place. And I think what's interesting is there's not every city has land banks. It's really this, the Rust Belt to the Sun Belt. Right. And there are some on the East Coast, but there's only like 100 plus land banks, and there's none in the West. Right. I think there's one in Oregon, but none West of Kansas City, which right. I think is really interesting. Let me bring it back in here, if you don't mind. Yes. We're, I'm still trying to learn about the LRA a little bit, and, and I'm curious, how many properties do does the LRA own? Right now we own about 11,800 parcels. Wow. So doesn't does that make you by far the largest? Is or is Detroit maybe the? They are the closest, <laughs> and I went to Detroit um, a couple years ago for a conference, and it was so interesting. And 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 then we went to Baltimore, and in May I'm going to go to one in Milwaukee, and it's so interesting to talk to other land banks and see how they do things, and it's really helpful, um, you know. And that's where we met the Kansas City people, and how they do, you know, things is different, but. Yes, we have 11,800. The majority of those are vacant uh, land, mm-hmm. you know, over 8,000 um, parcels of vacant land, and then about 3,000 or so structures. What's the average price of the properties that maybe that have the structures on them? Um, they vary from neighborhood to neighborhood. We break okay. down the city of St. Louis into, you know, say, 78 neighborhoods. Wow. And then we break that down even further because, as you know, uh, one street can be completely different in St. Louis than just two blocks over. So, uh, you know, for instance, Benton Park has two different neighborhoods. The West mm-hmm. End has two different um, neighborhoods. But um, um, the the properties we sell for typically a thousand dollars a house. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes in in we don't we don't have properties in Soulard or Lafayette Square or the Central West End or anything, but. It, it's based on the neighborhood assessed value. If the house is $1,000, well, why isn't everyone just buying them like wild? Because the condition they're in, primarily. Aren't the bricks worth more than $1,000? Yes. Yes, and then people have discovered that. Okay, but so would you sell a property to someone who just wants to take the bricks? We don't like to, no. I'll give you Alderman Moore's uh, information, but his neighborhoods in the Ville and the Greaterville, he, he says they're being stolen, and they are. 
um, and I can go down a street on a Monday and see holes punched into walls of standing buildings, and by Friday the buildings are all the way down and the brick is you know, on pallets and being taken away illegally. All so that, our- that's really, it is interesting, and I think that that could be a whole nother discussion. So, but at the same time, they're doing it very much in the open, which is why I, it befuddles me a little so, bit to just pack them up yeah. on pallets as if this were part of the, right. just a job. Some of them um, put on hard hats or the yellow vests. All of our demolition contractors have to have their sign out and and their permit you know, demolition permit out there posted on a, on a stick. The other thing is the, the streets are so vacant. So they may steal a building and there's not a, a homeowner, you know, within a block. But people typically assume that they're just demolition contractors. So you say that you don't necessarily like to sell to people who are just going to buy it for the bricks, but who do, who do you like to sell to? So tell them, so let's go over what you can do, uh, what you want people to do, and what you can't do with the properties. Our goal is to get them back on the tax rolls, um, whether that's an investor or a renter or or um, homeowner. So it's okay to buy one and turn it into a rental? Oh, yes. Uh, we have a lot of multifamily buildings, four families, and um, um, not all of them can be owner-occupied. If you ask the individual aldermen, they would prefer that we only sell to owner-occupants and not to speculators. or, or But... Um, but that isn't the case. So can you just buy and hold the properties? When we sell you a property, if you tell us where you're going to rehab it, we put in the deed uh, restriction that, that in 18 months you have to have an occupancy permit on it, if that's what you say you're going to do. So in that scenario, in 18 months, I don't. Um, if we see you've pulled permits and you have your windows and you ran into hard times, we give extensions. We do come across... Um, people that uh, haven't done anything. And the 18 months comes up, we send them a letter, and, um, and they say, nah, I, did, I walked away from it. We send them a quit claim deed to, to give it back to us. In the deed uh, that we record when we sell you the property, the lien on it is called a right of reentry lien, and that means if you don't have the occupancy permit within 18 months, we have a right to take the property back. We've done that twice in my lifetime. And how long do you have to hold the property before you can sell it? Because you can't just buy an LRA property and turn around and try and sell it to the open market. Without any rehabilitation. Right. Because because you have come against this. you're going before the commissioners and you're telling them what you're going to do. Okay. And what what are you going to tell them you're doing if, if you're doing that? That you're going to flip it? They would probably not give you the the property. Okay, so if I'm just going in and even if I'm improving it? If you're improving it a little bit, if that's what you tell them you're going to do, if, if you tell them I'm going to go in and just clean it up. You know, we, if your end user is a, a, a homeowner or someone that's going to take care of the property, we don't care. If it's, we, we really don't care. We don't want people profiting off of us because we keep our prices so low so that homeowners and, and people that want to live in the city and, and work in the city so that they can afford to, to um, spend all their money on the rehabilitation of it. So we don't like to hear about flippers. and It happens, but we don't, we don't really want to sell to someone that says, I'm just going to flip it and flip it. Because sometimes the, the price gets, I don't know if you all were around with creative funding and with 
the other disaster, um, I can't remember his name, DHP or whatever it was, um, that was flipping and flipping and flipping so that at the very end there was so much debt on the property um, and, and mortgages and deeds and liens and everything else that the properties ended up just falling down. So go through the process of buying an LRA property because you just mentioned that you need to disclose what you are going to, what your intentions are with the property. If you want to um, um, buy land for a side lot or something, the process is pretty easy. You can, you know, get the application online and send it in and, and you know, it, it's, it's not a lot of questions or background or, or a, when you're buying a house, um, we ask that people come in, make an appointment and come in and sit down so that we can go through everything with them. Um, um, you know, what the house is going to need. Um, um, we, we, we want the, to know if they've been in the property, if they've come up with the budget. Um, so, so we sit down with them and we take their offer and we present the offer at the end of the month to the commissioners. But in the meantime, what we do is um, go and look at your other properties that you own in the city. We make sure you're current on your taxes because if you're not this property is probably going to end up back in our inventory again if someone doesn't want to pay real estate taxes. And then if you say, I'm going to buy this house and, and rehab it, we ask, what are your, what are your finances? Um, do you have any steady income? Do you have savings? Um, we allow for a lot of sweat equity if, if you have enough money to, to get started because we give you 18 months. So if you have the money, we don't expect you to have all the $100,000 in the, in the bank already, but you do need enough um, to get started on the project. We and in fact, you actually have a lot of owner occupants that come in wanting properties. Oh yes. That are willing to do all the sweat equity, oh, which yes. I think I was surprised to hear. It's fun. It, it, it's really fun to, to, when people close, when they come in to close on the property and how excited they are and they bring their families and, um, you know, people are crying. It is a big deal to them when we're actually conveying the, de- the deed over okay. to them and they can get started on their project. Um, people think that we don't sell our properties and we hold on to them too closely because we do have some rejections every month that we reject. And those are usually when someone goes into the property and there's no furnace and no electric and no roof and they say, here's my budget, I'm going to put in, this property needs $7,000. You know, some people say it's not up to us to, to... say that person can't do that project, but we we have to be careful when we convey it because that property has already been a nuisance in that neighborhood um, before it even came into our inventory. And so we, we have to be a little bit more careful the second time around that someone really is going to fix the property up. Yeah, and I would say that that's probably pretty legitimately if someone came in with a $7,000 budget when it, you're just buying a shell and it needs all the systems that it's Pretty valid to say you're going to need a bit more than that. Right. Someone might come in and say this needs $25,000, and that looks pretty good. And um, But their father is an electrician or their uncle is a, a concrete person or HVAC person. You know, we there are situations where someone is just going to be a group effort. Um, I was looking into LRA properties probably a decade ago, and uh, it was – kind of hard to figure out what they were but i noticed you guys have really improved your website which by the way for anyone listening it's i think the easiest way to get to the website is just to google lra st louis 
and they you can like search by the map i think you can search by zip codes and all that kind of stuff yes so that's awesome to be able to find the properties and then i looked at a few a couple months ago and i guess they were in such bad shape that they had been boarded up and we had a guy named marcus he would show up and he would like open the properties for us he was awesome all right Right. I kind of made friends with Marcus. Right. Good, good, good. So he does that on Thursdays. Uh, every, 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 we do it on Thursdays. We, we get criticism for that, too. Um, someone posted online about three years ago saying, I want to buy an LRA property, and um, it's board, boarded up property, and you know this is May 1st, and they can't let me in until June thir- 12th or something. Um, and, and I got upset because the maintenance men uh, – you know they're boarding up properties all day long. They're never not busy and reboarding, and they have 300 work tickets a day. And there's only eight of them, but we take out one day a week to for for properties that have boards on them. Now, if you wanted to go look at a property of LRA, we we would look in our database and we would say either it has an LRA key or it's completely boarded up, and the men have to take the boards off. If it's a key, you can come to the LRA window and buy a key. Yeah, I used to have a key. Yeah. It's a $20 deposit to, to take the key. But, um, but, and, and that's one way. Um, and then the other way is when it's completely boarded up, the guys get there about 20 minutes, so they make appointments all day long, and they get stood up all day long. And, and so they will get there about 15 minutes ahead, and they'll take the boards off. And then Marcus or Corey or someone will, will walk through and just make sure there's no gaping holes and mm-hmm. whatever. And then they'll take the people through, and then they reboard up the building, and then they go to their next appointment. So it takes a long time, and they can only show you know, 10 properties, 12 properties yeah. a day, and they get stood up all the time. That's frustrating. Yeah. Is it true like that the, if you're driving around St. Louis and you see properties that are boarded up with red plywood, is that you guys or is that – Every, anybody the city of st louis their board up uh, paint is very similar to ours one's maroon okay and one's red and the city <laughs> <laughs> and and after a little weather they look the same, the, same. Color. Uh, the city of st louis always has their yellow marker they date when they board up the building so that they're, they're and those are properties they, that are pre-lra th- yes they are they're i always say someone says that property's falling down and and i say it's not lras but it will be very soon okay i noticed that on some of these houses that we're looking at and i don't know if this question is appropriate for you but a lot of them for some reason the back wall has caved in and i was at, i went with my contractor brian and i'm like well can't we just like uh, what do you call that, stick and frame or whatever inside the back wall? Is that something that's like, against the rules? Or I can't remember if he said it's just not structural. Um, uh, you mean if you purchase it from us, can you yeah. do that? Yeah, um, Instead of re-breaking the whole back wall. Um, that's maybe a building division question. I don't know. It probably is. But it seems like I think one of the things that made us not buy some of them is that it would be so expensive to rebuild the back wall with bricks. Yeah. And I'm like, just put. Some I think it'd be good course. to look into because I think the answer is no. It's not required. There is a there because I, I just completed property, same scenario, and it has siding on the back. Okay, maybe they had to put some sort of like steel beams in the wall to to hold the walls. From and it would, in. that wouldn't surprise me for that roof, the 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 weight of the roof. Because so why the is back it always wall. the back wall that? Yeah, I don't why? know. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. 
It, I, that, but it is interesting. But I, I think the upside to that is people always want a lot of natural light. So right, there right. you go. When we get our, our list and the guys you know, go and winterize them, and, and by the way, they're always months behind. In other words, they just finished the uh, 2017 sales. And I think that last year we took in like 450 or something, and that was the low. How many do you sell on average a year? We close on about 50 properties. A month. You'd be an extremely successful realtor if you're doing 50 <laughs> closings a month. He is a realtor. Isn't that funny? <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that funny? But no, the, the back wall thing. We go and look at our properties, and I get really excited like we can sell this one fast. We can get this right back out there. It's beautiful. And then we go around back, and the, the wall's gone. The, you know, the mm-hmm. whole back wall gone. It always amazes me. There is, at least there was, uh, some some other sort of organization called the CDA, Community Development Administration. And yes. what's the difference between you and them? They are part of the city of St. Louis. They administer the federal block grant monies. So as far as LRA and CDA goes, and that's a lot of things. They fund housing corporations and um. um so and they don't necessarily have a bunch of properties. The CDA does not own any property. Okay. There was a period of time when the uh, CDA was purchasing properties on behalf of that housing corporation in Fox Park or in Skinker de Bolivar or in the Ville. They were going out and actively purchasing property that that the neighborhood had determined um, was in distress and was abandoned and needed help, and you know they didn't want to see a speculator come and get it. And so the CDA would um, go and purchase the property. We were their acquisition agent. So you wouldn't ever see any properties in the CDA name. It would say LRA, and I think we have about 180 of them now. But they are properties that were purchased with federal block grant, and so there are restrictions on those properties. And what are the restrictions? Mostly, are they available for sale? Yes, they are. Uh, mostly are they income. marked the different? Is there a different? Can you see a difference? Um, on the if you looked up on the assessor, all you would see is that LRA owns it. If you called here in our database, we mark those as CDA option, um, and we would refer you to the housing analyst over in CDA. CDA is in this building. Too. Okay. They're on our floor. So actually, CDA, they do a lot more with their block grant. For instance, I say we get no general revenue. CDA, um, we have a work program with them, a maintenance work program. So they basically fund all of our grass cutting and uh, okay. board up and tree removal. I would refer you to the housing analyst, and they would explain what the restrictions are on those properties. But typically, it's affordability income restrictions, meaning they would want, whenever it's rehabbed, um, they would want it uh, to be affordable, the house to be uh, affordable. And I thought they wanted you to sell it to someone who was going to occupy it instead of Um, be a rental. um, CDA would sell, mostly sells their properties to developers, small-time developers, Mm -hmm. who then sell them to homeowners, yes. Homeowners, okay. I'm curious about, you mentioned the LCRA at the beginning. What's that? Uh, Land Clearance for Redevelopment Authority doesn't hold that much property, but uh, the Land Clearance for Redevelopment Authority uh, has the authority of TIF. Uh-huh. And of tax abatement. Okay. So if you were to purchase a house and rehab it and you wanted tax abatement, do you know what tax abatement is? Yes. I have a listing right now that has a 10-year tax abatement, and we're on cool. year nine. And so oh, the new really? buyer is going to probably have to figure out what the new taxes are. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But they have the authority to um, issue the tax abatement and um, and the TIFs and other incentives. Um, they also can purchase property for for development. And so the NGA, the National Geospatial, mm-hmm. we purchased those 99 acres, 551 parcels through the LCRA. Is that what they call eminent domain? Uh, no. Um, eminent domain is when uh, is the authority that the land clearance for redevelopment. You're right. They have that authority also. Um, they, they, um, when we purchased the NGA, we had six or seven people that did not want to sell. Uh-huh. And the LCRA has eminent domain authority. So basically when, you know, when they didn't want to sell, it goes to a judge. I mean, and, and the judge, you know, we, we made an offer, but there were only like six or seven holdouts and, and only two of those were actual homeowners. The others were just people that own land. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we had some holdouts and, and so they go before a judge and the judge awards them what they feel is fair. It's actually three judges. So yeah, we had to use eminent domain on some of the parcels for the NGA. Do some people hold out just because they know they're going to get I mean, yes. is that what the land not that we want to promote that or anything? But I learned a lot. <laughs> um, I learned probably that that you know people have been through this before. The holdouts, you know, they actually a couple of them got more, and a couple of them got exactly the same. Uh, you know, in other words, the judges awarded them exactly. The jury awarded them exactly the same. What as, you offered, as what we had offered. Yeah. Know. Anyway, yeah, I learned. A little bit about an eminent domain. There were some holdouts like that. There was someone that really, really, really didn't want to sell, and that was Mrs. Charlesetta Taylor. Mm-hmm. We picked up the house and moved it down North Market, made a ride on Jefferson and a ride on St. Louis Avenue, and went down two and a half blocks and plopped it down. It was her family home. It was wow. her family home. Otis Williams is the <laughs> one that made her that promise. So it was fun watching it happen, though. Walking down St. Louis Avenue and 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 whatever it was it was a process. So I I cannot believe you. I still can't believe you picked up the house and it landed in one piece. Yes, landed in one piece. And as I like to say, when they put it in, put the foundation and all new systems, and then laid the house, you know, built the basement and laid the house on it. I always like to say it looks like it was born there because it looks exactly like it belonged on St. Louis Avenue. You know, just with the with the rest of the houses. So. That was fun. Well, being here today really makes me want to go up, back out and buy some LRA properties. Okay, good. And I'm curious, have you guys, you guys don't ever list the properties like on the MLS? Is that right, or do you? Yes, when we have uh, properties that are safe um, for for you to go. And uh-huh. I, I've been out of real estate for a while, but you know the lockbox or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, um, if it's safe for someone just to go in, we like to list it. Um, we had um, some more help in real estate the last two years. We're kind of short-staffed right now. but w- So we listed – we would go and walk through the properties, and we listed probably, you know, 10 properties uh-huh. that way. And then it's still at, at more like market rate or kind of at the low, low um, LRA um, prices? No, it would still be low prices. Wow. Um, I always say we'll pay real estate commissions. I, I let brokers and real estate agents know that we do pay commissions. But we don't want to up our prices to to do it. Uh-huh. So we have some larger properties that we do have listed. Um, um, we have an incubator on Washington Avenue, and we own the Connect Care on Del Mar. Um, for our larger properties, the slap site, 
we list with brokers, uh-huh. real estate brokers. The residential, it's just hard because I've had some agents come in here before with contracts and with a buyer, and they've added $5,000 on to the $1,000 sale price. You know, so it, it's kind of hard. They should have their buyer pay that. Yeah, yeah. Right, I mean. Well, that's what they're – but um, so it's kind of hard with our prop- properties to, to – um, we don't really have any market rate um, properties out there that we're asking 180000 for. Mm-hmm. You know, our highest, you know, four family is probably $8,000. So, okay. Which should be incentive for people to come on in and buy them. Absolutely. And you want people to come on in and buy them, yes. I guess. I mean, can you handle more than 50 deals a month? Um, not at this point. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, the, the sales are just about to start. The tax sales just about to start. Okay. Um, in Is June. April the first? No, it's typically May. Or May. Oh, that's right, May. But it was moved to June. Why? I guess because it's a new sheriff. My only guess is that they need more time. I don't know. It's just always been in May. Uh, we have a new sheriff, and the sheriff conducts. You the know, sales. there's a lot of people that look forward to those. Okay, so if someone oh wants to buy an LRA property, you want them to start on your website, look around, find one they like, and then should they come down here? Uh, if they need a key. 1520 Market Street, Suite 2000? Suite 2000. And um, Do you want to talk about some of the other programs that you guys do? Just uh, Yeah, the Moda Own is... Or in um, the Garden Lease. Those garden, are the two I see all the time. Yeah, the Moda Own is if you are adjacent to an LRA property, you're a homeowner, your taxes are current, um, you can... Um, uh, I can't say purchase because we give it to you for free. Yeah, you just there mow it for a set amount fee. of time. But you do have to sign up for it. You, you, it's, it's just like any other um, offer. You come in and it's a mode to own offer. The property has to be less than um, 30, is it 35 feet? I can't remember. There, there are some contingencies on, on that. But um, for the most part, if you're next to an LRA property, um, you can come in and get it for free. You do have to pay for the recording fees and things like that okay and then the garden leases those are actual leases yeah and then there's like urban tree farms that uh, you guys have done a lease out mm-hmm. land mm-hmm. i guess those are the, those are partnerships that you took those are partnerships plus right, right lots and just grew and, a bunch and, of trees and we're about to do it again that's um, awesome um the garden lease program we put into place when the housing market was down and people weren't building and and uh, people would come in and say, I want this lot on the 2800 block of, 2600 block of Louisiana. And, and we would say that's a 30-foot, 5-foot lot. There can be homes built there. There are homes built two blocks from there. We don't want that to be a garden. There are, there's room for gardens, but not in the middle of the street. But we'll give you a lease. We'll let you lease it, and you can garden and everything. But when a development comes... Uh, we give you 30-day notice. And, He's tearing down your tomatoes. And get those plants moving. So so what happens the last four years, it seems to me, if you drop something on the ground, someone's building a new house, especially around the hill. And So people are building, 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 and, and they come in and they're wanting these lots now. Um, in Benton Park, it's unfortunate because there was one there that the community loved, uh, neighbors loved. You know, so, so that one's kind of unfortunate, whereas in Old North, you know, we, we, we get an offer on one of the lots, and the 
And the garden people said, well, we know that. We were a placeholder until the development. You told yes. us that to begin with. This is what we're going to do with it for six years until they start building again or whatever. So, so anyway, but uh, it's, it's a good program. We do allow people to purchase the garden. You know, if it's a garden, we, we allow the neighborhood group or whatever to the purchase The association mm-hmm, to actually purchase, purchase yeah. the lots. Yeah. Just, um, you know, get it back on, on the tax rolls. So what do you think are the biggest challenges that the LRA faces? I would say funding. Uh, we run out of tree money usually by March. And so what do you do for the rest of the year? Uh, we ask other agencies for money. <laughs> okay. What do you mean you run out of tree money? Well, we have a budget. I believe it's six or $700,000 a year um, for our maintenance crew. And so we have line items for the trees, line items for the boards. You know, you mean cutting down the trees? Gasoline. Mm-hmm. Like the trees that are growing out of a foundation and stuff? Typically, with the tree things are, are that they have fallen on someone's house or they're dangerous, oh. um, that we have to r- remove them. We, have, um, we do have a bucket truck that we can trim the trees, but um, we spend a lot of money taking down trees or removing trees that have fallen or need to come down or mm. whatever. Um, but I would say funding, and that goes with demolition also. Um, we we used to get $3 million a year for demolition, and, and our budget's been cut. And uh, we probably have three or 400 buildings that are on a demolition list that we just have to wait until we get the money to take down. So When I was looking into all this kind of stuff like a decade ago, like I mentioned, and I was looking into it in the county too, I found that they had a lot of properties, and I see Shannon has a picture of something here, but they had a lot of properties that were like the tiny little sliver yeah, so that's where, probably... where like a um, telephone pole had been hit or something like that. Of these 8,000 vacant parcels you have, are a lot of them just weird little pieces that are not like an actual lot? Yeah, more specific. So I, I pulled up, like, I have seen comments online, and so I thought I'd pull up a few parcels last night quote-unquote parcels uh and I, I know what they were talking about and i've seen him and i i think my question is so why do you have these tiny little slivers on some little street corner mm-hmm. why um, not just deed those over like one in specifically is on Accomac, and it literally says the walkway between right. 2700 and 2706 right. like how do you own a walkway right. and how does that an, end up in the lra and why not just Give Clean it to up. the city yeah, or give something. it up or give it to the that is so the funny property only just to say to get yeah. this these addresses off had, your list. We just had a meeting with the mayor's office. You know, uh, the mayor is on us all day long about you know getting these properties back out there. She really is, and um, and we just had a meeting with the mayor's office where we talked about the irregular lots and I. Asked Claire to look up how many we had, and I thought we had maybe 600, 700 irregular lots. In Skinker de Bolivar in the West End, the answer to that is the uh, Hodemont tracks, the suburban tracks, when, when all the streetcars um, um, street left or whatever, there, were, there, were, there was um, abandoned land, and they came into our inventory that way. Someone in the West End, they might have, um, I don't know why we have all those 7-inch by 150 um, feet ones, but it's just different reasons everywhere. One person had their house surveyed or something surveyed, and 
and this little piece of parcel became its own parcel, and they weren't getting the city of St. Louis gave it its own parcel ID, but this homeowner wasn't paying. He was just paying his taxes, and they were never sending a bill. There's different reasons. So and maybe they don't want to pay an extra $6 a year for this tiny little sliver next to their property or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, what they don't want to pay for is is for the survey um, to, to get it back to the boundary survey, mm-hmm. to move the boundary line. 200 or 80 square feet isn't going to change your assessed value that much. It isn't the taxes, I think. People don't want to go through the hassle. So we just had this long discussion on how we get these parcels. And I used to write letters, and we still do. And I, I, I didn't know about the one on Acomac. We write letters, believe it or not. And, and a lot of times it's a, it's a piece of property where there's a homeowner and a homeowner, and we say, come on in and get it. And um, one homeowner will come in and one won't, and then they take get over. The, they get it, and then this homeowner's mad. So what's of the process of like re – Creating boundaries, the um, parcels. Yeah, hi- is it hard? A survey, surveyor is to that go it? out there. Yeah, and, so, and it has to be recorded. So they'll go and, out there and they'll redraw it with taking our lot and moving the boundary line, and then recording that new legal description. And I think it's like a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars to do that. So that's what we were discussing: is ways that we can make this affordable, or maybe we take it on. You know. Um, it doesn't help so much with the abandoned, vacant properties that we have that are dangerous. It does take a lot of properties off of our inventory, yes. which is good. I would just say it's a cleanup right. process. Right. But we've so. had people say flat out no. It's more like care. a PR thing. If you could be like, we used to have 8,000, now we only have 6,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're like, right. Or can I, can I, because I'm like, well, can I just buy this little sliver right here and put a sign right there? Can I use that property to put my little sign? Yeah. I thought I would ask because I thought there's nothing else you're going to do with this little sliver ever. And only a sign will fit on it. That is funny. For a few hundred bucks, I'll buy that little piece of property in the neighborhood I work a lot in and just put my sign up. You know, I can't answer that question on how we would get a gangway, how we would ever own in between two houses just like that. That'd be interesting to, to find out how we got that. Yes, you can. I don't know if we would sell it to you for this reason. It sits on someone else's property. I mean, it's right there. It sure would, does. It, but at the same time... It's not their property. It's not that's their right. property. That's and right. what if I purchase that property? That's right. Well, and that's what we say to people when they say, um, I don't care if, I'm sitting, if my fence is on your property. And I'm like, you will if we sell it to someone. Who it's then yeah, their Shan's property. Yeah, going to show up and be like, get your fence off my property. Yeah, get, your, <laughs> get your sign off my property. The reason that we would probably recommend to the commissioners no on that is because the city of St. Louis has to put up with our properties. And, yes, there are other people's problems until they come into our inventory. We didn't start it. But, but we have to be respectful to all the neighbors that have to live around the LRA properties until we can sell them. And so we would be respectful probably to that neighbor even though it doesn't look like it's on his yard uh, putting a Shannon sign on there alright I'm going to go ahead and wrap yeah, up the podcast to, for the day <laughs> you can follow up Shannon and I'm happy to support you putting your signs all around town yeah. so we really want to thank Laura Costello for being our guest today on the podcast 
and we're excited to talk about LRA. I'm actually excited. I'm like, can we just not put this podcast out there so I can go buy a bunch of the LRA properties? But I think but it we will. is not very hard. All you have to do is go to the website. There is a checklist. And then the form is right there. And the form is not at all difficult. Right. It's a lot easier than people think. To, it, it's, it, we are swamped. So that, that's testimony that we are so selling patience, them and people patience. know. And, but, but the yeah, process is simple. Do. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So thank you very much for being our guest. And please take care.